There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to You Come First with me, Megan Barton Hansen. You may know me from the 2018 series of Love Island. Since before Love Island, I've always had a passion for women's rights and interests. So I'm here to tell you everything you need to know when it comes to putting yourself first, whether that be in a relationship, in the bedroom, your career or your mental health. I've called in friends from around the world for an intimate, unfiltered conversation that will change your life forever. The reason I started this podcast is because since I've used my platform to speak so openly, I've had so many of you contact me on social media and even stop me in the street asking me to do a podcast. So now we really can get down and dirty and discuss the most important things that just aren't talked about enough. Expect lots of laughter, a few tears and for the penny to finally drop as we discuss the most taboo and private topics, helping you focus on the fact that you come first. Today I'm joined by one of my all-time favourite stand-up comedians. While she was born in Canada, she is now based here in London. She's appeared on some of the USA's, Canada's and UK's top TV shows, such as Never Mind the Buzzcocks, Mock the Week, Would I Lie to You and Have I Got News for You. She has had two live stand-up specials released on Netflix and her own series, The Duchess, and most recently, The Sunday Times best-selling laugh-out-loud memoir, The Audacity. There is little in the world of acting and presenting that this woman hasn't done. She's a total boss in her career. It is Catherine Ryan. Hi, Catherine. Thank you so much for coming on today. Hi, Megan. Thank you so much for asking me on the Hot Girl podcast. It makes me feel like I'm one of the sexy young babes. (laughs) You are a sexy young babe. That's why we love you. So yeah, I'm sure the listeners are keen for me to just like dive right in and ask you loads of questions. So talking about hot young babes, it's like close to my heart. Like I've always been, I think, a victim of like slut shaming because I feel Mm. empowered by dressing sexy. And obviously something that caught my attention is that you worked in Hooters. So how was that for you? Did you feel empowered working there? I did. I loved working at Hooters, but I also grew up at a very different time to you like I was born in 1983 so when I was a teenager it was the whole Britney Christina boom of uh look at us we hate each other because there can only be one supreme female but also we're sexy by accident 
our virginity is um, fetishized and all the things that Brittany is dealing with now were cooking up back when I was growing up. And we all, my girlfriends and me, we had skin colored hair and hair colored skin and we wanted to be (laughs) sexy by accident. We wanted to be innocent and I wanted to have a good life and to be someone that people liked. I think a lot of young women are struggling to find, you know, how can I best serve the world and have a nice life for myself? Mm. And I was always saying spicy things and I was really weird growing up, you know, like I wasn't pretty. And I thought, well, my life would be best if I'm pretty and if I'm sweet and I would like to be a cheerleader and I would like to be the kind of girl who works at Hooters. And so (laughs) I worked my way up to that. And then when I moved to university in the big city in Toronto, we got a job at Hooters and I loved it. I mean, it wasn't as sexual as I think Brits imagine that it is. Mm. It's more like being a cheerleader. And you get to hang around with other young women other young like-minded women all day. This is the thing about those industries is the men are kind of not even there. (laughs) Yeah. Did you find that you had a really good friendship group with the girls working there? Yes. We were so close and really cooperative and collaborative. And I learned working at Hooters that it was the smart girls who also had a bit of chat about them. We made the most money. We got the best shifts. Customers wanted to sit in our sections and chat to us more. I learned a lot about some of the misconceptions of being a young woman. And I learned a lot about my own tools that I kept trying to throw away. Tools like chat and tools like being funny. Those were actually valued at Hooters and they became part of my like favorite things about my friends and about myself. Yeah, it's definitely a big misconception. I think people, like you said, with the whole Britney Christina, there can only be like one person who's the fittest. Like it's always like men think we compete, but working in a strip club, like I don't know if I can even compare it to Hooters, but it's still like the same sort of thing. You're dressed in like underwear or like small tiny clothes and you're trying to do the most to get money. You're surrounded by other women and walking into that, I thought my terrible time at school being such, I thought, oh my God, I'm walking into this. It's going to be hell. But honestly, Mm. the girls were so lovely. And I found the same actually that like the girls who earned better money were the girls with chat, the girls who actually invested time chatting to the customers and were just naturally funny and like their quirky selves rather than trying to be just this aesthetically pleasing sex doll (laughs) right and so we were both for decoration in one way or another you know even though strip clubs have more dancing or you know it's a different environment the underscore of that is here are these women for decoration and I think you find like-minded people who get it I love that those girls were supportive there can be cattiness in the strip clubs though I'm sure Cardi B talks about it on Instagram (laughs) I love Cardi B. I heard that you named your dog Cardi. Cardi Wee. Yeah. Oh my God, that's so cute. I love that. I'd forgotten about you working in the strip clubs. Did you dance or did you bartend or did you do hosting or all of it? Well, I danced, but I say dance. I use that term loosely. I kind of just swayed really slowly and hoped for the best. But I mean, in front of men, if you're in like stripper heels and tiny underwear, you don't have to do a lot. (laughs) They don't want you, you know, tap dancing. They don't want to see any <laughs> lyrical jazz up there. I'm pretty sure. Like, yeah, it definitely wasn't. That's all wasn't. you have to do. <laughs> it definitely wasn't like a diversity routine. <laughs> no, <laughs> like some LED dancing. Yeah. And did you find that empowering? I did. I really did. I think that what made me grow in confidence. I think if I didn't do that, I still would have been 
because I was slut shamed at school literally just for like kissing a guy so I think going into that I'd already had that tag of being slut shamed so I thought embrace it and make some money out of it but is hooters not as sexualized as we think then as Brits is it just quite like innocent like the girls are in skimpy shorts but it's not they wouldn't put it in the same bracket as like a stripper so there was no slut shaming or anything like that for you we definitely had slut shaming people aren't sure what a hooters is in a lot of parts of the world like in the uk you've got only one but they think it's topless a lot of people that i speak to think it's topless um no we wore vests and shorts and trainers with these thick kind of dancer tights so we were really not even that exposed and we would hula hoop and blow up balloons and caddy golf tournaments and do car washes and kids eat free on weekends at hooters it's a sports bar but you have to think about the american cheerleading culture it was a lot more like that yeah but i love that it's almost do you know eminem when he says i am whatever you say i am yeah if I wasn't, then why would I say I am? I love that. You get slut-shamed at school, and instead of receding into yourself and going, oh, no, I'm not that way, you know, watch me join a monastery, you just go all the way. You go, fine, I am whatever you say I am. <laughs> yeah, and I'm going to make money from it. That was, yeah. my, that was my view at, like, 20. I thought, fuck it. If, I, if you're going to tag me with that label, then I may as well capitalize off of it. <laughs> that was I my think logic. that's that healthy logic (laughs) so what was next for you how did you get into comedy so you was going to uni working at Hooters how did you get into Mm -hmm. comedy there was a comedy club right next to the Hooters which is so funny to me looking back it's like I was trying so hard to be sexy and pretty and innocent and I would get in trouble at Hooters for certain things that I said like I wrote on the lunch board one day club sandwiches not seals because in Canada, clubbing seals is a real contentious uh, kind of cultural issue. Yeah. And I had seen Pamela Anderson talking about it in some PETA demonstration. Whoops. Do you say PETA over here, PETA? PETA, I think. <laughs> I think you do. I'm always saying things wrong like Nike and Adidas. Um, I had seen Pamela Anderson in some PETA, PETA advert, club sandwiches, not seals. And there was a family from you know, northern indigenous Canada who it was part of their culture to club seals and seal meat to them. Yeah, but it's no different than chicken to them. Uh, It's just part of their culture. So they got really upset. They filed a complaint about racism. You know, it it went high, high level. Oh, wow. And I was like, I was just doing what Pamela Anderson was doing and trying to protect the baby seals. So I've always had a way of finding controversy, like even with chalk at Hooters. (laughs) And I was always getting in trouble. And I was like, why am I like this? Why am I this way? I didn't want to upset people. And I loved comedy. I loved watching comedy. I didn't think that I would be a comedian. But then I thought, well, I'll pop next door on their amateur night. And I'll just try out five minutes. And maybe that will be the place that I exercise this filthy mouth. You know, this (laughs) part of me that keeps getting myself into trouble. I'll just do five minutes of stand-up every amateur night. And I looked at it like a hobby, like you know, a Zumba class or whatever. Mm. And then it just developed. I made friends there and I felt more comfortable there. And that career slowly grew. Oh my God. To me, to go on to like stand up would be like my worst ever fear. Have you always been confident? I mean, to go in and do comedy like amateur for like five minutes, I couldn't think of anything worse. I'd be like, oh my God, imagine if no one laughs. Have you just naturally always been confident? I mean, I think that 
if the comedy club were in my hometown, which was a small town, and everyone's famous in a small town, yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to do it. Yeah, I wouldn't have been able to do it. But because I felt anonymous in a big city, I had True. moved to Toronto, which is so much bigger than where I was from. I didn't really care if strangers disliked me or thought that I wasn't funny. And I'm still that way today. Like if my peers pulled me up on something, if the people I respected were like, Catherine, you know, that was really bad. You went too far with that or we don't like what you're doing. I would really consider that. But when anonymous trolls or just strangers who create nothing want to disparage something that I've created or something that I'm doing to have fun or to better my life or to try to make a positive contribution, that doesn't bother me at all. Does it bother you? I love that. No, it doesn't bother me. I think... Mm-hmm. Yeah, if it was someone close to me, then I'd be like, oh, that's going to sting a little bit because you obviously respect their opinions. But I think it's so quick for people to judge on something they know nothing about. And like you said, if it's like an outlet for you or a hobby for you or a way that you're going to grow, then who's anyone to judge? I love that. And I also read yeah. the first ever or one of your first ever stand up comedies. You took your daughter on stage and held her for your whole set. Was this true? <laughs> yeah. Well, she was, it wasn't my first ever comedy sets, but it was one of the first, well, it was the first set after she was born. I had my daughter when I was 25 and I didn't have time to go to NCT classes or to read a lot about babies because I was living in London. I had just moved over here and I was really poor and I was working a lot in an office job. I was tired all the time and I just, it's actually very difficult to get time away from most office jobs, even to go see the midwife. You wouldn't believe, like, they just wouldn't let you leave at that time. Um, They'd be really suspicious. And I was like, okay, I've just got to make as much money as I can at this office job, not get fired. And then my daughter, I was starting to do some comedy gigs and I was offered Latitude Festival in July and my daughter hadn't been born yet. And I didn't realize it would be quite difficult to go to a comedy festival with a three-week-old baby. I just didn't oh think, but that was <laughs> that was good actually because if I had prepared too much or let a lot of what people say frighten me, then I might have shut down for a few months. But because I was young and because I was naive, I was like, yeah, book this gig in. And so when we went to Latitude Festival, she was 21 days old and we took the train to Suffolk. Oh my God. I know. And she was a really clingy baby, like one of the ones that cries a lot. So I just wore her in the carrier, but I didn't have any material about her because I had just given birth. So I just didn't mention it. I love that. I just That's did like, like really. Mom goals. <laughs> <laughs> but my comedy back then was way dirtier than it is now even. Um, I was kind of a shock comic. So I had this filthy material that I was just delivering as though I didn't have a baby strapped to me. And people were kind of like, what? the fuck is going on that was fine <laughs> I love that my mom gets so proud yeah. she's like when I had you I was doing everything I was up the ladders painting walls I was doing this I'll be like mom Catherine went on stage at a festival <laughs> and done stand-up behave yourself <laughs> well I wasn't up any ladders painting any walls I think everyone has a different experience and again women compare themselves sometimes or they feel an impulse to be like oh well you know she's done it this way and I and I'm very I think gentle with myself that if I have more children, I might not bounce back the same way. And if you have some injury or if you just don't feel up to it, or God forbid you get some type of depression afterwards, you just never know what's 
coming your way. So I had an easy time, mm. but I had hard times in other ways. And like other people might not, might not want to be like your mom climbing a ladder. I wouldn't yeah, recommend I it. I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, everyone's got a different journey. And I think that's the best thing, just not to compare yourself and do what works for you, isn't it? Yeah. So your career has spanned for so long now. Do you have like a memory which was like a pinch me moment when you're like, oh my God, I've made it? Or was it like your first paid ever gig? Like what, have you ever had any pinch me moments? No, I think what's really good and healthy as a freelance, which we all consider ourselves freelance artists, I think, because, you know, we have an agent, but we don't have an employer and people could just turn on you any minute, especially right now in cancel culture. People try to cancel me teenagers are growing up and starting to find comedy and they don't look at my body of work and the wokeness that I and the advocacy that I have tried to push all along and they'll find one little thing and they'll go excuse me why did you say that in 2007 I'm like what first of all I said that for your mom not for you and secondly it was a (laughs) totally different world yeah um I don't know so I, I think we never feel safe like you're you're Last job could always be your last job. Mm-hmm. But I think when I went to America, I had a few pinch me moments. And my tour promoter, Ian Coburn, whom I love at Live Nation, he said to me when I started doing a lot of TV in the UK, he was like, remember this ascension because it only happens once. And then you'll start taking things for granted and it won't feel the same. And I thought, well, what do you mean? Because I'm always grateful and I feel like I could never just take this job for granted. I feel really lucky to have it. But he was right that there was a time and it passed very quickly where I was on night buses doing gigs for 20 pounds, taking, you know, the cheap trains and doing my little art theater gigs. And then it just changed so fast. I was in America doing the James Gordon show or Conan O'Brien. I was doing Netflix specials and traveling first class sometimes like that. That all changed in the space of maybe eight months. That's amazing. So I think, yeah, I took his advice and I remembered that change, that shift. And I think that was really cool to capture. Yeah, I love your Netflix specials. The Glitter Room, I love. I've watched it so many times. (laughs) Thank you. So how did you do the transition from obviously being stand-up and you've done presenting into acting for The Duchess, which, again, I'm such a fangirl. I love that as well. Thanks. When you tell the other school mum that you're going to, like, fuck her husband. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Do you know why I did that? Because I've seen male celebrities leverage women's sexuality and weaponize women's sexuality against each other. I think women have been used as casualties of war. You know, it depends. Big scale, small scale. Uh, Violence towards us has been used as a weapon. Um, And 50 Cent and Rick Ross were having a fight, a very publicized beef at one point. And I remember 50 Cent maliciously released some old sex tape of featuring Rick Ross's girlfriend at the time. Right. So he used her in a revenge porn sense to hurt Rick Ross. And Mm. she's just an innocent bystander in this beef. And I flipped out when that happened. And he was held accountable and he went to court and he was ordered to pay her, I think, some sum of millions of dollars. I want to guess, eight million. And then 
coincidentally filed for bankruptcy and didn't have to pay it, as far as I'm concerned. Um, we'll say for your pod, yeah, we'll say for your podcast, this is all alleged and you can look into the details of this, but this is my legal recollection of events. And so I just, I hate when I see that in celebrity culture or in media, and I'm sure it happens in life. So I wanted this mother to do the antithesis of that and to flip it around and to say to the other mom on the school run, which is meant to be a very wholesome place. To be like, if you don't sort your child out, I'll fuck your man. I just thought <laughs> to weaponize the husband. <laughs> I thought it was a funny concept. It and is. I'm glad that it's so powerful. I loved it. <laughs> poor poor Brian. I mean, the husband is my friend, Jeff Norcott. He's a comedian. He's very funny. I didn't give him any lines. I didn't want Brian to speak the entire series. Because just be an accessory. Just look yeah. cute. <laughs> exactly. So he was I love not how invited. You to talk thank you but Um, how did you find acting did you have like acting lessons was you nervous because you seem like such a confident person I can never imagine you'd be nervous for anything uh, I mean you can tell I did not have acting lessons I think I can (laughs) I can portray a convincing heightened version of myself because I do that on stage I'm not really that spicy or that glam all the time but for the duchess I wouldn't have been cast in that role if I hadn't written the sitcom myself, you know? Mm. So I don't really consider it acting. I consider it like just a different medium to tell the same types of stories and jokes that I've been telling on stage for years. So it was a really cool opportunity. I love doing it, but I mean, I'm certainly not an actress. I'm never going to be popping up on Call the Midwife or... the crown fancy that (laughs) no I love the outfits on that as well absolutely incredible and I think that's something that's always stood out for me even before like if my parents had I don't know like mock the week on or something and I'd see you I'd be like oh my god who's that her outfits are stunning and you never really see female like comedians dress really flamboyantly do you they're just kind of it's all about the comedy and what they're saying was that something you was advised like against were they like oh no you have to wear a certain kind of outfit just be really neutral and it's all about what you're saying or did you just do what you wanted yeah so when I started anyway in clubs and I'm not even sure I can't remember where this came from if it came from other comics who want to help you and you know mansplain and maybe date you Um, Or if it came from club promoters, I'm not sure. But they would say, you mustn't be distracting. The men won't listen to you. They already think women aren't funny to begin with. So don't look more like a woman than you would. The women won't like you if you look like you're trying to take their man or whatever. It was so weird. The, The general advice was just to wear hoodies and jeans and to dress as invisibly as you could. That's so backward. That's the reason why I knew who you was before I even started watching Mock the Week. I never watched that until I saw you in your sassy outfits. I was like, I like her. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think I would watch Joan Rivers and I loved Sarah Silverman, who turns up glam sometimes. I think if the boys are at a level where they're wearing tuxedos and they're doing big Saturday night shows, then like, what do you want us to wear? And... If you're being invited into someone's living room on a Saturday night, and that's how I feel about television, I feel like it's being invited into someone's home. And I would show them personally, just my taste, I would show them the respect 
of not turning up in a tracksuit. Like I, I dress up yeah. because I take it like really seriously. It's an honor for me to be in that position. And I love hair and makeup and clothes. And I don't think that you should have to choose just part of yourself because you want to be respected or you want to be listened to and taken seriously. I just, I think the whole thing can be drag. Yeah, like men wouldn't have to make that choice if they wanted to wear something really out there. They wouldn't have to make that choice, would they? But why should we as women? I mean, some of them can't even bring a clean shirt. And it's really, <laughs> it's really weird. Some of them show up with like, oh, here's my laundry. And the wardrobe lady's got to steam it. Like, Ugh, okay, thanks for all your oh efforts. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the Duchess that we were just speaking about, I absolutely love it. And Obviously, there's the school mums who are like quite catty and bitchy. Is it awkward now when you take um, your daughter to school? Do the mums think it's based on them? Have you had anyone be like, <laughs> oh, I hope you don't feel like we're like this towards you or anything? Or not really, do they know? Um, I think those mums were meant to be an embodiment of the pressure that all mums feel to turn themselves out on the school run and to fit in with that clique and to go for the coffee mornings and to wear the athletic gear and stuff. I knew a few moms like that when my daughter was really small. And I feel, I don't feel animosity towards them that I wanted to show them out and like show what bitches they could be. I almost feel a sense of sadness that I see so many really cool women being backed into a corner, feeling like they have to portray this image of the good mom who gets up early, who goes to the PTA meetings, who participates. And I feel like as a mom, sometimes you feel pressure to lose a sense of yourself and just become someone's mother and to Mm -hmm. get so deep into those mom groups. And I would see that from them and just be like, you need to chill out, just relax. And I got judgment from some of them early on when my daughter was small. I was definitely alternative. They, a lot of them thought I was weird. And I would beef with some of them when I thought that their children were really nasty. I had a real problem with people bullying my child. And yeah, I thought, we need to take it to the streets. Yeah, it's, it's an impulse. <laughs> I would have loved to fuck one of their husbands to show them a lesson. But... Now, (laughs) my daughter is in uh, high school, like secondary school, and it's not the same school run vibe. And I've learned through the Duchess. It's so good that I did the Duchess. It was this catharsis to be like, rah, 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 I'm going to be a monster to these kids. I needed to get that out of my system before high school because as you and I know, (laughs) girls do go through tumultuous times in secondary. And if I didn't remove myself from those battles then I would be in prison. Yeah, it's good you got that out of your system. Yeah. Because I'm not even going to lie. Like, I do contemplate, like, oh, my God, imagine when I have to take my kid to school and I just feel like that other mum's. Like, that's putting me off more than actual giving birth and possibly shitting myself while I give birth is the other <laughs> school mums. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they could be really nice. And they, I mean, they're just like people, aren't they? They just had kids all of a sudden and they got some yoga pants. But they, yeah, and they think they're all prim and proper. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them. It depends on where in London you live, for real. But also, you don't poop yourself when you give birth, necessarily, because a lot of people don't know this. If you go to the hospital really early, then you're kind mm-hmm. of trapped on your back, and your body like voids itself of everything that it has because it's fight or flight. Like Your body has to do something, so you like throw up. It's really bad. 
But if you are at home for a little while and you have access to your toilet, that will all happen. (laughs) You will have like massive food poisoning symptoms for a while and then you go to the hospital. And I think that message cannot be shared enough. And then you will not shit yourself in front of your husband. Okay, thank you. That's really good advice because I didn't know that and that was one of my biggest fears. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I always want to thank you for being like so relatable. I think it's so refreshing Um, and love having you over in the UK. What made you decide to come and stay in the UK? Do you miss Canada? Would you ever go back? It's really bad. I came here to follow a boy, which is not empowerment. It's not what you're supposed to do. But I mean, I'm we glad that I... We all have the moments of weakness, though. <laughs> We've all done it. I used to spend so much flying back and forth to see this guy in LA who never come to London once. What was I doing? I so did the sad. same. But <laughs> doing that, I got my first Netflix special and I got my American manager who also manages like Maya Rudolph and Kevin Hart. And Oh my God, silver lining. I know. Every time I follow a boy, the boy kind of doesn't work out, but I get really nice perks. So maybe you should follow boys. Ugh, I don't know. <laughs> um, no, I was dating this guy in Toronto and we had problems, sort of. Like I liked him some days. I didn't like him other days. I was 22 years old, 23 years old. So I guess that's how it goes. And then he was like, oh, I want to move to London and it's just the best place to be for the comedy industry. And I thought, oh, no, London's old and it's dirty. And because in Canada, if something's old, we knock it down and we build a new one. We don't have like listed buildings and like, ooh, look at Stonehenge. We don't have any of that. Yeah. Um, so I was scared to come. I thought there would be rats. And there were. Mm. But I was, <laughs> I didn't want to come. But then I didn't want to break up. So I was in this sort of purgatory of well, what should I do and it was really hard for me to move to London at first I really missed my sisters and my friends and the money I'd been making at Hooters because you don't get tipped the same amount in this country at all so I had to really start again mm. um, and start working in an office and paying tax on all my earnings <sighs> so and sad. then I was really sad, especially when it doesn't go to nurses. It doesn't go to nurses. Matt Hancock gives it to his equestrian coach. It hurts my feelings. So rude. But um, yeah, and then it didn't work out with him, but I ended up staying. And he's my daughter's father, so I never wanted to like go back to Canada or take my daughter away from her father. I didn't know like if I could or if I should or if I would. I just stayed put, really, and I felt like the best thing for me to do is to make it work. And I was lucky that, you know, I obviously had the tools to make it work on my own. And it was really hard for a few years, really bad. And then it got better. Yeah, you've absolutely smashed it. And I'm so glad that we have you here in London. (laughs) I love being here. And I did all my ancestry stuff. And I know, like, my dad's from Ireland, so I knew he was from Ireland. But I did BBC, um, Who Do You Think You Are? And I got to find out that I have loads and loads and loads. I mean, look at me. I'm super Celtic and ginger. It's no surprise. But all <laughs> my ancestors are from like Dorset and Bristol and Liverpool and Donegal. And like I'm very British and Irish. So I kind of feel like I've come home. Love that. Yeah. Yeah, speaking about the BBC as well, I read that you quit BBC's Mock the Week due to pedestal feminism. Um, so obviously since you quit, what was it like? Have you seen more women be on there? Like, do you think it really helped? 
Yeah, I think anything you mention about Mock the Week for some reason makes it into a news story. It's like the the pinnacle of panel shows that they love to talk about. And as soon as a journalist takes something from your lips and puts it in black and white and print, it looks so much more serious. And then they use words like boycott. Catherine Ryan boycotts Mock the Week. She quits. She slams Mock the Week. It wasn't like that. It was, I'm very grateful for having been afforded the opportunity to go on Mock the Week. I love that show. I absolutely adore Dara O'Brien. And I had some amazing times. But I always found it odd that for years, genuinely for a decade, the woman, if there was a woman, guest on the show, would sit in the same chair on the same mm-hmm. side. And I thought, what is this? Why do we sit? It's just, it felt odd to me. And then some of the same women would get booked and it made it very difficult for a new woman to come through that door. And I didn't want to be one of the things holding a fellow comic back. And I knew that uh, a man probably has four chances to get booked on every episode, but a woman only has maybe one chance or less than one chance if they decide not to have a woman that week. And at that time, they'd never had two women at the same time. And I just thought my time was over and I wanted to move on to different things. And I love doing Mock the Week, but I couldn't be the woman sitting in that chair taking the space of maybe another woman who needed those opportunities as well and who could use the exposure to further her tour career or to have a chance to get some more profile. You know, I just, I hated being, I never want to be someone who blocks another woman, especially. Yeah. It's good that they've upped the one chair for a woman and now we're allowed in two chairs. (laughs) Two chairs. I know it's a huge step. But it feels weird. I think it's weird when I see just one woman and six men on a panel show. I go on panel shows still where it's all white people. And even that feels weird to me. I'm like, that this doesn't look like London to me. Yeah, it's not right. How would you feel if Violet ever wanted to be in the public eye? Would you worry about that? Because obviously you've done it. You've made an amazing career for yourself but as you know like being a woman there I feel like there's just so many pressures to conform and to be a certain way and you're being judged for this and that so how would you feel if she did want to be in the media because you know how tough it can be yeah I mean I definitely feel like it's the best time that it's ever been to be a woman in the media I feel like even I entered this industry at a really positive progressive time for us so I feel really peaceful about all of that moving in the right direction Violet, my daughter, is 12. She's nearly 12. And she desperately wants to be in the public eye because there's no child right now who doesn't. They're all on TikTok and they see these little moguls and celebrities come out of almost nowhere. Mm. And that really feels like any child you ask, you know, they used to want to be a firefighter or a nurse. And now they're like, TikTok celeb, please, influencer. (laughs) She love would love Island guest. <laughs> yeah, Love Island guest. She would love to do all that stuff. She loves you. She watches Love Island with me. I mean, we have a very um honest and transparent relationship about lots of things, including what it's like to be kind of a public target. And um mm. I wouldn't mind. I think that I would never hold her back from doing anything she wanted as long as it was age appropriate. Like if she wanted to work at Hooters, that would be fine. If she wanted to be 
a UKIP MP. I mean, that would have to be fine if she wanted to <laughs> work in a burlesque club. That would be fine. I mean, I, I would support whatever she wants to do. By the time she's old enough that my job is done and it's just up to me to be as supportive as I can be. I I think she probably has better chops than most people to deal with criticism because she's grown up with me. And I show yeah, her nasty it. comments that I get. Yeah, I love showing it to her. I'll be like, look what really? this person said. Yeah. I guess that's healthy. So she's like prepared what like the world's going to be like. Because even if it's on a smaller scale, you'll get like... With social media, I think you still got to get that with trolling, don't you? Anyway, we just get it on a bigger scale. So it's the most healthy thing you could do, I guess, rather than like shielding her from real life. And it's so important, I think, to show young people when we have conversations about mental health and everything else, is that if you are in secondary school and everybody hates you one day, you go to school and everybody hates you. And you think that that is forever because your brain is still growing and you really don't have the depth perception of time to realize they're going to hate you for three days tops. So you think, oh my gosh, my world is ending. Everyone hates me. And now there's the pressure of social media. They're all hating me on TikTok, posting these, you know, whatever, slamming, revenge, exposing videos. That'll be done in three days. And so sometimes I have a little Twitter storm or something, and I love showing it to her and going, look, Violet, everyone hates me for three days. And then when it's done, I go, well, everyone's done hating me now for a while. Oh my God, that's so healthy and so yeah. good. I never thought about it like that because I do generally get the fear sometimes. I'm like, oh my God, if I have kids, like, are they going to be embarrassed about me and stuff like that? And are they going to look back at my past? Like how you said you get teenagers look at comedy you've done like 2002 or whatever. But I guess that's the most healthy and they'll be so prepared for any kind of like negativity or bullying that life throws at them. That's I think advice. so. And your kids will be deeply ashamed of you, Megan. They'll be deeply embarrassed. And if you were a receptionist or if you were an electrician or if you were a stay-at-home mom, they would still be deeply ashamed. They would see photos of you, like, just doing nothing. They'd see a photo of you cooking a roast in a lovely mom outfit. And they'd be like, oh, my God, mom. Oh, my God. Like, they're just ashamed of you no matter what. So you might as well live your life. And then they will be able to hopefully see one day that your mother is your mother, but your mother is also her own person. And Yeah, that's so true. It's, <laughs> don't be afraid of your kids thinking you're dumb, because they will. <laughs> Love that. I just want to say congratulations on your one-year anniversary with Bobby in September. It's almost two years now, so congrats. Yeah. And he was like your first ever love, right? I know you've probably told this story a million times, but can you just share it one more time for the listeners? Yes. I mean, I'm reeling this morning. I don't know if you are aware, J-Lo and Ben Affleck are back together after 17 years. I saw that. Did you know that? I can't handle it. I don't know (laughs) if it's cute. I'm really upset. You don't think it's cute? Well, I need some time. I don't know... (laughs) I don't know how I feel about Ben Affleck. I've seen the Dunkin' Donuts memes. Uh, They've both had quite 17 years. I don't know what's gone on, but they are copying Bobby and me because... (laughs) They want to be you. (laughs) I know. Um, Bobby was my first boyfriend when I was a teenager, and I loved him so much. I actually had like a breakdown when we split up. I pulled out all my eyelashes and my eyebrows from oh like my God. How anxiety 16 or 17 when we split like well we split a few times so 16 was the big 
uh, crash that I had. And then I just lost my mind. I only ate Cool Ranch Doritos for a month. Um, I wouldn't really get off my parents' floor. Like, it was bad. I don't mean to laugh. I really don't mean to laugh. (laughs) You're fine. But how dramatic is it at, like, 16? You're like, oh, my God. I genuinely believed as well, something that I think girls need to know, is that people told me, because of, like, fairy tales, my parents are still together, and just, like, Mm. in films, you think you find your person, and that's your only person. And in your case, it is. But in yeah. some people's, it's not. So you think the world's literally ending, don't you? At like 16, 17, like, oh my God, that was my one person and that didn't work. What am I going to do? <laughs> That's it. And everything, I mean, your chemicals are working against you when you're 16 because everything's so much more dramatic anyway. I mean, mm. it's just horrible. It's a horrible time in my life. And then we got back together for a bit and then we split again. But I loved him, loved him, loved him. And I thought about him periodically. I would just... You know, you're talking to your current boyfriend and you just go, oh, yeah, I'm telling you this story from my past, this and this. And I would always say, I had one good boyfriend, though. I really liked Bobby. I would always say nice things about him. I'd be like, oh, I had this one boyfriend when I was a teenager. I loved him. And then it was just so weird. I was home in Canada filming Who Do You Think You Are? Searching My Ancestry. And we had just started following each other after 20 years, started following each other on Instagram because some of my girlfriends were like, Bobby looks really hot. And he did. Yeah. And did you not slide in at that point? Was you like, oh, you're looking cute. Did you not slide in? No. no. <laughs> we were just looking like I thought it was so funny. It was um, like a joke between my friends. We're like, oh, he must be single. He's posting like gym selfies and things. And people my age, we don't see that a lot. And I just thought... <laughs> Because Bobby was special in my life, I just thought, oh, isn't it funny? We're following each other again. And he had always been really complimentary about my career. Like, he would post things about my Netflix specials. Like, even when he was in another relationship or I was, he was always very much like, oh, congratulations, Catherine. He'd say to everyone in Canada on his socials, he'd be like, Catherine's on James Corden tonight. She's always been so funny. My celebrity crush is the same as my first crush. Like, he was really cute oh about God, me I always. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And then um, I would see those things or word would get back to me because, again, I'm from a very small town. Very small. Bobby might actually be my cousin. I'm not sure. But um, (laughs) then then I was drinking with my sister in Canada at this bar. And I just Mm. put a message out on Instagram, just a general message to like 700,000 people. I was just like, oh, I'm in Toronto for one night only. Where's a good place to go? And something in my mind, I knew we'd never spoken, but I knew he would answer the question. And he was like, you should try this bar. It was, of course, a horrible bar and I wasn't going to go. But I wrote back, oh, well, my sister and I are already in this, you know, nice hotel bar. So if you want to come out for a drink, you should. And then he came. um, And when he walked in, I just loved him the same as I always did. And he, I don't know, we, I slept with him that night because I thought it would be a laugh. I thought... Well, you never get another chance to do this. I'm in for Toronto old time's for one. sake, yeah. Yeah, and we both kind of thought it would be funny. Our friends would really love the story. We had the same friends. But then he was such a gentleman, like, texting me, no games. He was just so great. And then it didn't take long. Like, we were married eight months later. Oh, my God, that's amazing. Yeah. I love that one. So it's just weird. so fresh. I think because you have that respect for each other because you've been together before. There's just no need for that bullshit and games and like, oh, I'm not going to text this person first. I'm going to wait so many hours. Yeah. So refreshing. And oh. I feel like he remembers who I really am. I think a lot of guys see what I do for a living and they're 
like, whoa. And then also I have guards up and I've dated a lot of trash men, like true bottom of the barrel bad. And I was really against being in a relationship. And I really believe what I say in Glitter Room when I'm like, you don't need to be with a man. We used to legally need one. We needed one to get a mortgage or to have a passport. And I just thought you can live your life and be very happy on your own. And I really meant that. And I still mean that. You can be so happy on your own. But it's because I truly believed that and I wasn't in a vulnerable place that I was able to attract exactly the right person by accident. Yeah, that's the thing. I think you've got to get to a place where you're really just like in love with yourself and content with what's going on before you start like desperately searching. Because that's when I've made some of my bad mistakes. Like the LA guy, I was looking for something. So I was just clutching at straws. And that was a lot of money wasted going back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> was, would he be someone that we knew if you said his name? Even though don't you oh. don't have to say his name, but no. is he f- not a no, famous person? This was pre-Love Island. Like, I had loads of money from stripping, so I was just like, I'm only going to fly business, and I'll just spend thousands and thousands going to see him. And he made... So he was originally, like, he's from Venezuela, so his excuse was like, oh, I can't come to London because my passport or whatever. But I reckon he could. He just couldn't be bothered. Anyway, or he <laughs> it was could, fun. Might last it. <laughs> he could pay for flights. Like, I'm sure he has points. Yeah. What is going that on? That would have been nice, at least. A nice gesture. <laughs> Um, so how do you manage your personal life and your career? Because I feel like you're so busy with work and so got so much going on. How is it juggling, like, the husband now? I mean, lockdown has made it really easy because <laughs> I have less work and less uh, interaction with my friends. And there's <laughs> nothing but time to get to know your husband. Um, I mean, I look forward to having a social life again. I think that when he first came here, we were still going out to things, going to comedy shows, doing events, seeing lots of friends. You know, he landed here and it was like, we're going to these awards and then we're going to Maya Jama's birthday party and then we're going, you know, it was fun. Yeah. And then it just turned really boring for everyone. But he does, well, with COVID rules now, it's tough, but he was coming to work with me a little bit. And oh, right nice. now, yeah, like right now I'm in Devon and I'm filming something uh, this month and he's come down to Devon with the dogs and he's going to golf a bit. So like we still make time for each other. And even when I was a single mom and my daughter was really small, some other people would say, well, how do you find time for your daughter? But I am with my family for a lot more waking hours because I work at night. So yeah. My parents had office jobs and we were at the childminder and then we were at school and then we were back at the childminder and I'd basically see my mom for like story time and a bath. But I'm home a lot of the day and I'm writing a lot. My stuff's really flexible. So I think my family life is really tight and sometimes my daughter comes on tour with me. Like I'm very, very lucky to have this job because it's a, it's a good job, I think, for a single mom or for anyone. Sounds ideal. So yeah, Glycerin was all about being unapologetic, about being single. What advice would you have if we can't go back to our first loves and get with them? Because <laughs> I think if I got back to my first love, he's probably got about 20 kids now. He might even be in prison. Like, I come yeah. from South End. So yeah, what, <laughs> what's your advice for us single girls? Just focus well, on your career, would you say? I mean, that's what I'm trying to do. I mean, how old are you now? You're still like... I'm 27. I'm getting old. You're not getting old. See, (laughs) 
27 is like 17 now. I mean, I just would never be in a rush because if you want to meet a partner, I don't think that's a bad thing. Equally, if you don't want a partner, you want to be on your own, I think that's not a bad thing. Whatever shape of a family you think is right is something that you have to define for yourself. So when I made The Duchess, I did look at different avenues of of being a single mom, like adoption or sperm donation, or just not being a mom at all, or having a baby with your ex just to reduce the admin, even though you hate him. And my (laughs) message there was like, you can just do whatever you want, but I wouldn't be in a rush to do it because your brain is still growing. You change who you are. I think this is why my husband was divorced when I met him because he did the thing that loads of people from your hometown, Megan, and from my hometown do, is they have 20 kids and they get married when they're 19. And then you're very lucky if, like your parents did, you grow together and you evolve as a partnership. But some people just grow apart. And so... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because you're a different person from who you was at, like, 19 or whatever to who you're going to be at, like, 39, 49. I think if you really want that for the long term, you're going to have to constantly work at it. And I don't have the patience for that. So that's probably why I'm single. <laughs> well, you're too young. Like, I, I'm i 10 years older than you are. And the person that I was when I was 27 is very different to the woman that I am at 37. And, I mean, I was in a rush. I thought, oh, I have to have a baby now and or have to be in this relationship where I don't want to fail again. If this relationship falls apart, I'm a failure. If I don't figure out what my job is, then I'm a failure. But it actually takes a lot longer than you think. And the good news is we live a lot longer than we used to. So, I mean, don't blow your load in your 20s and then live till you're 120. <laughs> like, what are you going to do for a century? Yeah, Just take your 100%. time. Yeah. Um, and moving on now to looks, like we touched briefly on like trolling and stuff, but I know personally I've had so much trolling and people like questioning like what I've had done, how much money I've spent on how I've, how much I've had done and stuff. And I know you've had similar with like surgery and you're so open about it. And I love that from you because there's so many people that have stuff done and it's so obvious that they've had something done. They're just like, no, 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 nothing. I don't know what excuse the Kardashians make, but you know what I mean? Like, there's always (laughs) some excuse. It's never surgery. But you haven't had that much, but do you find you get a lot of trolling about that or, like, pressure on you about, like, what you've had done and stuff like that? Yeah, and, I mean, it's, it's not obvious to everyone. It's obvious to you and to me because we actually have an interest and an appreciation for that science and art, and we Mm. can tell when someone's had cheek filler or we can tell when someone's done, you know, whatever. And I don't judge those people or disparage them, but I do wish that there was more transparency. And I will say when you were inside the Love Island house, I think, did all those stories come out when you were still inside so you didn't know? Yeah, so I had no idea. And then the producers were like, oh, so do you want to talk about surgery? Like, what was your views on surgery? And I was baffled. I was like, why do they want me to talk about surgery? Not knowing people like pulling up before and after pictures of me. So yeah, I'm glad I was in there for a lot of it. (laughs) Well, it's so weird because I was a viewer of Love Island when that happened. And I don't read the tabloids usually, but it was a huge story. Like it came into my periphery for sure. It was on the blogs and I saw it flash up on social media and stuff, your before and after pictures. And I remember seeing them and thinking like, okay, I was intrigued because whatever you've had it, it's been really 
really good work. So I thought, oh yeah, that's nice. But then you also look at those pictures and you think, yeah, but how stupid are people that you've taken photos of a little girl who's wearing glasses and who hasn't got professional hair and makeup done? You know, she's a little girl. Your face naturally changes as you get older. Your body naturally changes as you get older. Like mostly what I saw was a little girl in school who's now a young woman on television all glammed up. And so it was blown, I think, totally out of proportion. But people are fascinated with any glow up. They're fascinated and they want to catch you in a lie. They want to catch you cheating. And it yeah, can't... like, why is it seen? That's the most toxic thing. Like, why is it seen as cheating? Like, it for me, it's just like if improving something you've already got, and if that's what makes you feel better, then do that. I think as a feminist, for me, it's just like whatever you want to do, do it. And women should be supporting, not like trying to call them out and be like, but if you didn't have all that, you wouldn't be so cute, would you? Like, why is it so negative to have anything? Yeah, it's I like, well, be, I like, did I have s- all that. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, I don't know, if I see a girl with nice lips that are clearly filled, I'd be like, oh, who done them? They look lovely. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Take tips and be honest. I think we just need to be so much more transparent. I think that's when it's dangerous because then you could go to someone when, like, the Kardashians aren't speaking about their bums and they're like, oh, I just squatted loads. It's like, clearly not. And that's when girls will go to someone and get, like, dodgy filler. And before you know it, it's, it's awful. This is it. Anything that happens under a cloud of shame is dangerous, I think. You do everything transparently, everything up out in the open, you're way less likely to get hurt. And we do hear about girls going to someone unlicensed and having fat embolisms. Another thing that was explored in The Duchess. Um, you go to a dodgy <laughs> surgeon or you don't know what you're doing or you feel shameful. What a terrible way to die. Feeling yeah. shameful and not knowing if you can ask the right questions, being afraid of judgment. And, you know, we all live in this society and we all have a different idea of what our image should be. And women used to lie about getting their hair colored. Women would lie in the 50s and be like, oh, no, it's my natural. Women still lie about That's having. That's mad. Yeah, Why? I know. And so I think we're just part of an evolution. And I haven't had loads. I've had filler. I've had no surgery on my face, though I've thought a lot about getting a nose job my entire life. I just never got around to it because I thought it would hurt too much. My boobs yeah. are fake. And it's um, the healing. You're too busy for like to go with black eyes. <laughs> yeah. But I think it should just be discussed, not to be taken lightly, but if you're a, like a grown woman and that's what you want to do with your body, it shouldn't be like, oh my God, but you're changing yourself. It's such a shame. I think just support other women, you know, whatever they want to do, yeah. rather than tearing them down. So what I learned, obviously, by having surgery, I thought at 19, when I had my nose job and my boob job, I thought I'm going to spring up from that table and I'm going to have the confidence of Beyonce. Like, I truly, in my little 19-year-old brain, thought that. But obviously, as I've got older, I've learned confidence comes from, like, within, age, therapy, whatever, life experience. What would you say to girls? Because for me, you're like the ideal that I want to reach when I speak to my therapist and she's like, how do you see yourself? I just want to be as confident as you. So uh-huh. do you have any advice for our, our listeners and our girls? I am really confident, really confident. And uh, I think sometimes I worry that I'm missing some part of my brain or something because I'm like, well, why don't I care? I honestly don't give a shit. And I I think that's a special kind of confidence. It doesn't mean that... 
I walk around thinking I'm the most beautiful or I'm the best or I'm the most talented or I'm the funniest. That's certainly not. Um, But I just feel like I value my time too much to waste any of it worrying about the thoughts of people who are totally inconsequential to my happiness. And I think it's more of a realism than a confidence. It's like, I'm here once, you're going to die, I'm going to die. This is the only life that I get. And I love friendships and being happy and having fun. And I'm so grateful for my mental health. And you can really choose like which direction you point your head in. Like I just choose to face that way. And then when I get terrible messages or I feel less confident, I just, you have to, it's like a muscle. You have to learn to turn it off and just go, you know, what matters is so much bigger than all this little stuff. It doesn't matter. And I don't feel beautiful every day. And like, I don't feel talented every day. But I just, I don't put any energy towards that. You don't feed that monster. And it just becomes a habit. Just stop feeding that monster and turn around and enjoy your life because it's the last, you know, it's the only one you know you get for sure anyway. (laughs) You might get another one. (laughs) Hopefully, no. (laughs) That's a good little soundbite though because I do think you've just got to be, enjoy life for what it is. And also I think it just needs to be accepted that you can have a neutral day. Like you said, there's days when you wake up and you don't feel the prettiest, you don't feel like you're the most talented and you're not the most confident. But that's, that should be seen as normal as well. I think everyone's just striving to be this ideal of like happy, confident constantly. And it's not. I think with life and mental health, it's always like up and down, isn't it? It's just normal. Yeah. I think confidence is more about peace. You know, you just mm. want to give yourself the gift of peace. And you have to be realistic and remind yourself that anyone who wants to give you trouble or say that you're not good enough, like it, it really deep, deep, deeply does not matter what they think at all. They don't matter. Go look into their profiles. Go see like how sad their life is if you really want. Don't yeah, spend no, too much time on it. <laughs> I was saying this the other day. I was like, if the Daily Mail um, trolls and stuff actually had to have a profile, it would be so entertaining. <laughs> and th- this is the thing. Like, think about the person who said the last mean thing to you. Would you want to be friends with them? Do you like them? Do you think no, highly of them? Definitely so, not. Yeah. It's, it's fine. Uh, I just love your energy. I could speak to you all day. But I'm conscious of taking your time and we've chatted so much. So do you want to tell us like what's next for you, what you've got going on? I heard you have a book out, don't you? Yeah, my book is called The Audacity. And it's got a lot of these kind of things in it. Just advice and funny little experiences that I've had growing up and a lot of a softer version of who I really am and kind of how I got here. You'll see in The Audacity, I was not always confident. Um and get a copy yeah it's fun it's got some photos i was intensely ginger growing up um and then (laughs) i'm doing a new dating show for itv2 called ready to mingle and i'm doing a new amazon show soon as well called backstage with Catherine ryan so those are the three main things that you can check out if you want and if you go on netflix i got a lot of stuff that's just streaming there just waiting for you and I'm going on tour. I forgot. Yay, I'm going on tour. tour. Starts in September. I'll be in South End 
So <laughs> please do. <laughs> I'm going to go find your ex and bust him out of jail. See what. Oh my he, God. Yes. <laughs> what, where he went wrong. <laughs> oh, it's been lovely chatting to you. Thank you so much for your time. You too, Megan. Really nice to see you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this. If you did, please rate five stars and leave a review. And be sure to subscribe so you get next week's episode as soon as it lands. And remember, for the best experience, make sure you listen on the Entel app. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.